Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. Golf Talk Live is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Hits Magazine. Here's Andrew to tell you more about our sponsors iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Welcome to Golf Talk Live with your host, Ted Odorico. Join Ted each week as he speaks with some of the best in golf. This week's special guest will join us a bit later. But first up is another great discussion on Coach's Corner. So let's introduce tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right, good evening, everybody, once again, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and we've got a great show for you tonight. Uh, we're going to be starting things off here in just a moment uh, with an, another great discussion on Coach's Corner. And then a little bit later on, I'm going to be joined by this evening's special guest, Dr. Bob Winters, uh, sports psychologist, author, and speaker. Uh, he's been on the show before, but uh, it's been a number of years, so we're going to catch up with him a little bit later on the broadcast. Don't forget, uh, we are live every Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central uh, here on the blogtalkradio.com network. And if you want to catch us uh, some other time when it's convenient for you, you can go to blogtalkradio.com slash golftalklive and just scroll down to the on-demand section, and you can listen when it's convenient for you. Um, and, of course, at the end of the show, you'll get uh, some heads up on some other platforms that you can tune in as well if you choose to listen somewhere else. So, um, But anyways, we've got a great show for you tonight. I'm going to introduce the panel. One of them is already here with me, and we'll see uh, about the other one. Hopefully, uh, they'll join us shortly. Uh, but here's uh, tonight's panel. It's uh, First up is John Hughes, a good friend of mine, a PGA Master Professional, Honorary President of the North Florida PGA Section, and the recipient of the 2013 PGA of America's Professional Development Award, uh, plus he's the 2023 North Florida PGA Teacher and Coach of the Year, and also a one of the senior editors and a Golf Tips Magazine Top 25 instructor, plus part of uh, Golf Tips Advisory staff. Uh, also joining us, hopefully tonight, will be uh, Jamie Leno Zimron. She's a Class A LPGA teacher professional, a six-degree Aikido black belt, uh, somatic uh, psychologist, uh, corporate speaker, and mind-body fitness trainer, and she graduated Phi Beta Kappa from Stanford University and is um, uh, also the creator of Kiai Golf, The Centered Way. So um, I'm going to introduce, or rather, uh, welcome John to the panel, and hopefully Jamie will be joining us uh, momentarily. But, John, welcome to uh, Coach's Corner tonight. Thanks, Ted. It's always great to be part of the show. Always enjoy uh, having you on, and uh I mean, we were. I know we talked about this recently. I think you were one of the first between you and Clint Wright. I think one of the first, uh, or among the first, uh, on the Coach's Corner panel when I started this up. Um, the show has been on eleven years, and I think it was the second year that we started Coach's Corner. So I think you've been on here about almost ten years now, right? Yeah, time flies when you're having fun. It's it's been enjoyable. We've <laughs> shared a whole lot of stuff and. Uh, we get to cut up with Clint and Jamie and everybody else. So, yeah, it's yeah. been fun. Yeah, it's always a good time. Uh, all right, so we're, we'll we'll start the conversation, and I'll keep an eye out for Jamie. Uh, hopefully she'll be able to join us. I've sent her a note, so we'll see uh, what happens. But if not, uh, it won't be the first time you and I have had to hold down the fort. So, 
All right, we're going to talk about something a little bit interesting. I thought I would just sort of do something different that we really haven't done before here on the show, and that is really talk about valuable life lessons that golf teaches us. And um, there's a, about 10 of them here. We may not get through them all, but um, we're going to talk about a few of them. The first one is cooperation is key. Um, you know, golf may be certainly competitive, but it's uh, also underscored by a clear spirit, uh, spirit of cooperation. And what I mean by that is even some of the most bitter enemies can find common ground uh, on the green. So it's a game where two businessmen who aren't necessarily the best of friends can still go out and enjoy a day away from the office. So, and I think what, what makes, uh, what part of what makes golf and that uh, spirit of cooperation uh, sort of rests in the scorekeeping nature of the game. Obviously you have to be honest and trustworthy with one another and keeping score and, and, uh, in a tournament play for sure uh, it's attested when uh, when you're signing the you know the uh, the scorecard so um but cooperation is definitely key and, and obviously it's it's really about relationships right john it is it's it, golf can very quickly build a really good relationship between two absolute strangers uh just the common sharing of the enjoyment of the game the passion of the game uh, you get talking about things and start realizing that it's a small world out there. And, and from a cooperation standpoint of view, there's on-course cooperation, off-course cooperation. The off-course is pretty easy. Uh, hey, give me your contact number. Let me hook you up with this person or let's get together for a cocktail or and talk about business or talk about this or, hey, we have this other person in common. Let's catch up with them. What's funny is people don't really view cooperation on the golf course as prominent as most people would think. The cooperation of well, understand the golf course. I've never played here. Can you tell me what this is, this hole is about? Um, mm-hmm. What about what about this green? What about the elevation? Uh, but yeah, you're you're probably breaking a few rules here and there from the spirit of the rules, but from a camaraderie standpoint of view, a friendliness standpoint of view, there is some cooperation that goes on there. The thing that I would, I always tell all my clients is to be careful about cooperation or free advice that sometimes mm. it's exa- it's worth exactly what I just said. It's worth free. And as much as somebody might be trying to cooperate with you by sharing their thoughts about you and your skills, I wouldn't call that cooperation. I'd call that, uh, amongst other things, unsolicited advice, which is definitely against the rules. But it can also create some havoc, create some turmoil on the golf course with the wrong people. you got to refrain from that and wait to be asked to provide that cooperation. That's just a few of the examples. really unusual word to start out the show with, but, but definitely something that people <laughs> overlook. Definitely something people yeah. overlook. I think also, too, it, you know, what's interesting about golf, and, and, and of course it applies in life as well, um, is the ability to, as you point out, to learn about one another. And, you know, it, it's amazing when you play, you know, four hours with somebody on a golf course, what you learn about the other person. Um, how they act, how they conduct themselves, you know, uh, are they, you know, are they 
Um, and again, being mindful of the rules. I mean, are they cooperative in the sense that are they helpful to one another? You know, if somebody's lose, lost a ball in, in uh, you know, uh, the weeds, let's say, um, you know, are they engaging and, and helping everybody sort of look for that? Um, and the other thing, too, is, is you learn the temperament of the other players as well. And obviously, if you're playing with, with some of your close friends, and that you, you kind of already have that in hand. But sometimes you, you, know, you might go out to the golf course, maybe your regular foursome isn't playing, and you're, you're joining up with some new folks. And it's a great opportunity to sort of spread your wings and, and, uh, and maybe make some new friends along the way. Um, so there's a certain element of cooperation and, and obviously understanding. Um, and sometimes those, you know, those uh, personalities clash, and that's okay. But, uh, again, as I mentioned, um, you, you could be better enemies uh, starting things out, but you can always find some common ground uh, once you get out there. So um, I think it's a good way to you know, really look at this game from a different perspective. The second point I want to talk about is, you know, many of the world's best golfers are shockingly humble, and we're going to talk about humility and is, is valuable. Um, you know, they recognize that the talent, uh, you know, the talent against which they compete, and they know that they're always a swing away from being tested. When, win or lose, they show other players the respect they deserve. So, you know, even some of the best players in the world, um, certainly, you know, for the most part, are very uh, humble when they're out there. That, again, kind of goes to the first one a little bit is the type of people you're playing with. Are they, you know, people that, um, you know, are, are respective of one another and, you know, and there's a lot of things. But I'll let you give a few examples and then I'll follow up. But um, humility is definitely uh, another one as well, right? It is. The humility is probably uh, one of the most valued characteristics, but sometimes one of the rarest ones to find on the golf course. As much as we see great examples every week, week in, week out, of how each of these professionals are grateful to to their teams, their families, uh, very humbled by the support that their peers give them, there's probably just as many, if not a few more, that aren't quite so humble. And, And the game eventually create some humility within all of us one way or the other, whether it's on the course or off the course. The the real key here to me is when that happens in your playing career, to use that term loosely, if it happens early, most likely the, the person becomes a really not only a respectful golfer, but a a very good golfer from the sense of being able to be uh, relied upon, being able to be uh, called upon for things off the golf course, whether it's charity, whether it's just some help, uh, going back to the cooperation, hey, can you help, can I bring your truck over and move some things around for me? Uh, someone passed away, you need to move things out of the, out of the house. What I see is when the humility takes longer to settle into mm-hmm. a golfer and or when some, when an adult starts a little newer, a little fresher, maybe at a more advanced age around retirement age, sometimes that humility is hard for them to grasp. And, and I try to coach them to understand the same forces, the same experiences that they experienced as professionals and in their personal lives that provided them some humility 
be willing to accept that on the golf course because it's the same learning curve. It's the same wealth of experience that you must go through without any shortcuts. And the more you're trying to shortcut those experiences, the less humble you are, the more difficult the game is. Uh, we can look at the pros, certainly, as examples, but I like to see the examples a couple of my clients who who are very charitable, um, always calling me and getting me to help them with their philanthropic efforts, uh, very giving of their time, very giving of their assets and resources. And when they get out on the golf course and play, not a whole lot bothers them as much as somebody who's not quite as humble. It's it's their ability to deal with adversity, where the humility sort of settles in with its roots, and you're better able to deal with things shot to shot, round to round, uh, year to year. Yeah, and I think it's a great overall. I think it's a great characteristic, really, to to cultivate um, and. You know, Absolutely. again, being humble, yeah, especially for – and I, I'm going to approach this a little bit differently here and, and really for beginners. Um, you know, as, as you can see, being humble really opens up uh, a lot of new possibilities of learning from others, uh, which ultimately can help improve our own situations, whether it's in the game of golf or in our lives. And what you'll find is by being a little bit more humble, and, and I, I say this really more for the guys out there because a lot of guys, you know, even if they're not that great, tend to, you know, bow up and, and want to feel like they're maybe better than what they actually are. And I find ladies tend to be a lot more humble uh, when they get to the golf course, especially if they're new. Uh, but it, it creates an opportunity to, for us to maybe find a mentor um, uh, in all aspects of our life. People are willing to share what they've learned uh, and motivate us, uh, you know, to succeed uh, both on and off the golf course. And it, uh, the key here is really a willingness to give credit where credit is due and then learn from it. So, you know, humility, you know, people might think of this, well, you know, how is that helping my golf game? Well, it helps you really adapt better when you're on the golf course because if you're, if you're coming at with a more humble approach, as we talked about, uh, you're less likely to get caught up in ego or, or other factors that are going to just, you know, get in the way of, of really be improving. Um, the next one too, I think is one that really, uh, in, in especially in life, but, but also on the golf course, we, and John, I think you'll agree with this. Um, it, it's nice to have some luck, uh, get a, maybe a lucky members bounce once in a while, but the truth of the matter is hard work is more important than luck. Um, your thoughts here. I've always said that hard work creates your own good luck. And people sort of look at me quizzically, well, what do you mean by that? Talent is fantastic. The talent's only going to take you so far. The people who aren't as talented can catch up with the talented through hard work. But talent and hard work will always win out. And typically is hard work is put into play more often. Practice, playing, fitness, nutrition, mental game, whatever it happens to be, you do start creating your own luck. One could argue that luck starts with the ability to make a decision that keeps the odds in your favor, which in turn should make you that much more luckier. Um, 
am I going to take a risk-reward shot that I don't have the skills to pull off, but if I pull it off, wow, what a reward I get. And then instead of being humbled by missing it, you're all mad at yourself for missing it. And you feel like you're talented enough to pull it off, but you didn't put the hard work in to know and feel confident that you could have pulled it off. And that's the big difference. Uh, when, when you can put in the work, I wrote a blog post of, about a year or so ago, are you practicing your what-ifs, the situations where mm-hmm. you don't ever practice them? But that's hard work. And it's, it's sometimes difficult to find a place at a practice facility or even on a golf course where you can go practice it. But the people who put in the hard work and are talented, you, you see them pull these shots off, and it's not lucky. It's they've, mm-hmm. they've worked at it. They've worked real hard at it. You're going to get some lucky bounces, and those are coin flips, sure. whether it bounces out of a tree in your favor, caroms off of a hill and stays out of a fairway bunker and lets you hit something out of the rough instead of the fairway bunker. That, those things, the rub of the green, they happen, flip a coin, it, it's going to – work itself out to come all come out in the wash at some but when you're really talking about luck the luck you create for yourself has more to do with your hard work and your experiences so you can make better decisions keeping the odds not in the house's favor the golf course's favor but keeping them in your Mm -hmm. favor it's and doing so my my clients get so surprised when i ask them to pull off a shot that they believe is too conservative, yet at the end of the hole, we look backwards, see how they played the hole, and they're like, wow, I did shoot less. I did score less with that hole. And it was, you know, I I took an unlucky situation and turned it into a lucky situation for me. Luck isn't always a good bounce. Luck is more about making decisions based on your hard work and your talent level to overcome the adversity, to overcome your opponent when needed. Uh, but too too many people too many people rely on luck. Uh, when I played soccer forty plus years ago, we we had a phrase "unlucky," and what that basically meant in a very reactionary type of sport was as much as you may have planned a dribble move, as much as you may have planned a pass in a certain location for a certain player, and if it was intercepted or the ball was tackled away from you you hear your teammates yell out and support, unlucky, keep going, unlucky, keep going. And it yeah. was a reminder that, hey, the work ethic was there. The, the idea, the, the, the concept was very sound. It just the timing was off, and that's okay. Keep yeah. your head up. Let's keep going. And I think if more golfers sort of talk to themselves that way, hey, that was, that was unlucky, but that's okay. Let's keep going versus wallowing in their sorrows of why can't luck come my way? <laughs> I'll tell you why. It doesn't right. come your way because you're not working hard enough. Right. I always equate it, too, is the more you practice, the luckier you're, you're likely to get. Um, and, you know, and again, it, it's all relative. But, but, you know, you're exactly right. I think for a lot of players, you know, they want to, you know, they, they always say they want to improve their game. They want to get better. You know, they want to shoot lower scores. And, but they don't want to put the work in. But there's also another key to this as well, and I'm just going to say this very briefly, um, and then we'll move on, is hard work has to be 
um, carefully planned out. Um, just working hard doesn't necessarily guarantee great results. You have to work smart, and there's a difference. You can work as hard as you want, but if you're not using the right tools at the right time uh, and you're not working smartly, then a lot of times you're not going to reap the benefits and you're just going to find yourself getting more frustrated because you're not really thinking. So, you know, practice is great, but you've got to practice. We've talked about many times, you've got to practice with a purpose and you've got to make sure that you're practicing the right things that you need to be practicing and not just sort of, you know, going through the motions and people think, well, I'm, you know, I've been working hard on my game. I'm hitting a lot, you know, hitting a lot of golf balls, but then when you isolate and, and sort of water down what they're doing, they're not really working that much harder. They're hitting a lot of golf balls, but they're not really practicing smart. So, you know, again, hard work is definitely going to pay off, but you've got to make sure you're doing the right motions and the right steps uh, along the way. All right, we're going to move on. Never say never. Um, whether learning the game of golf or improving ourselves, uh, you know, can work either way. And I think golf teaches athletes not to give up, uh, even in the face of repeated failures. This is one here, you know, Again, we all get faced with some, you know, John, with some um, bad breaks, difficult, uh, maybe we've made a decision we thought was the right one, ultimately didn't pay off. Um, and some people are, are, you know, willing to, especially if they had a bad couple of holes, they almost, you can see them throwing in the towel. They're just not, you know, they're just not really putting much effort in, you know, the last few holes because they figure, well, I've kind of blown it now. I'm not going to shoot the score I want. That's definitely a no-no. What, do you, what are your thoughts on this? That's that's such an overused phrase, uh, and people, because they hear it all the time, just sort of slough it off. But it's it's a very true phrase. You, you just never know. Never there. There's to me, there's no such thing as never if you put you put your heart and soul to it, and create the organization in your practice that you're talking about, or just in your daily lives. When when you're saying, hey, never say never, what you're really saying is anything is possible if you put your mm-hmm. mind to it. Uh, where where I see golfers not necessarily go wrong so much as not quite get it completely right is when they think they've got it and they'll, they won't give up so much as they'll lighten the load. They'll, they won't practice as hard or as often. Uh, and they're basically saying, well, I'm never going to lose this. Well, never, don't ever say never because it, it's, you're going to lose it. You haven't put in a, enough time. When you look at the world, the world's best, they're constantly putting in the time because they believe in that phrase, never say never, anything's possible. What ends up happening is creating some expectations. Uh, to me, expectations are failures waiting to happen. When you put the word never into your vocabulary, well, that, that's never going to happen. Well, you have that kind of attitude, sure, but then you're also going to turn around on the first tee and go, well, you know, I put in an hour's worth of practice before I play. This ought to work. And the two just don't coincide. It's like oil and water. And you inevitably get to the point where when you're saying, well, this will never work, the opposite extreme is, well, it should work. It's me. I'm a great athlete or I'm a great person. Why can't it be me? I agree with you. Why can't it be me? But it can only be you if you're thinking, hey, never say never. It's possible for you. It, it truly is. You, the, only, the one and only person in golf that has to believe in anybody is you believing in you. 
and, and that phrase sort of sums it up. But when you when you hear it, it's you hear it so often, it, it almost right. washes in one ear and out the other. You tend right. to forget what it truly means. Yeah, and and I think you know, John, for a lot of people, the reason why I picked a lot of you know this particular topic tonight was, you know, I really wanted to talk about things that, you know, everybody wants to focus on specifics of the game, and that's important. We, we understand you've got to work on your fundamentals, you've got to work on your short game and that, but there's a lot of things that go along with this just in, in our everyday lives and situations that really can help benefit you if you've got, and it really boils down to having a good attitude um, and, and, and being positive and, and reinforcing that, that good attitude and that positivity. Uh, in the things that you do in every day of your life. If you're coming to the golf course, um, you know, and this goes into the, to the next one I want to, and this is why I was going to say this, um, you know, we know that circumstances in golf are rarely ideal. Um, shots often, you know, um, sometimes have to be taken from some of the worst, you know, uh, imaginable locations. But we have to make the most of each situation. Um, you know, complaining certainly isn't going to accomplish anything. And the good golfers accept the situation strategize and remedy it the best they can, right? I actually thought you were picking all these as a good segue to Dr. Bob later later on, but he's the confidence doctor. He'll he'll tell you he'll back up exactly what you said. It it's about understanding what your your background is and, and building upon things that you have confidence in. The 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 real, I always say the real key, i got to quit saying the same thing over and over and over again. When you've got the confidence because you've done something in another part of your life and you can transition that to golf, golf becomes easier. Uh, When you've got confidence in the fact that you can convince somebody to, you can convince an Eskimo, Eskimo to buy snow. Well, you then you ought to have the confidence then to convince yourself that you can hit a certain shot if you put the time and the effort in. If you're the type of person who's very well organized, uh, very prepared, why not have that same confidence in, in building your game around some more organization, around some more preparedness, versus just be laissez-faire about it. Maybe it's the laissez-faire that's getting you not so confident because you're out of your comfort zone. It's really, I do this a lot with my clients, particularly professionals. I try to relate what they do and how they do it to golf. And and the easier ones that I can do this with are doctors, attorneys. The harder ones are accountants because they're so fixated on micro things. A lot of golf is the macro things and, and trying to switch them to the other side uh, not necessarily, they, they call it the dark side. I, I call it the lighter side because there's less to be thinking about from the macro side. Uh, but if they can start thinking that way, all of a sudden things transition to become easier to accept, but more easily comparable to how you handle adversity in another situation. You are who you are, and you have your own patterns of handling adversity. Why not use what has built the confidence for you in the past 
with the other endeavors you've experienced. And a lot of people go to the golf course thinking they're Superman. They don't need to apply that or Superwoman. You do. You do. It's, and that goes back to the, the humbling of the game. Once you get a little bit humble and realize, wow, this is a microcosm of life, why not try this? The game doesn't get easier. It gets simpler. And when it gets simpler, it's more easily understandable, more easily organized, and you enjoy it to a heightened degree, more so than you had before. Yeah, I think that's well said. I think that the the more you understand it, it definitely does not get um, easier from the standpoint. uh, Golf is always presenting challenges, even at the highest levels. But the more you understand your own game and understand your limitations and so forth, um, then the more you're able to adapt um, and, and make um, the necessary changes to improve. And it's always a learning process. And one way I think really, um, and again, this is in life as well as golf, is a lot of golfers spend time worrying about their bad shots. And the less capable they are of making up those bad shots, um, each shot I, I look at it as a different story. Uh, and a chance, as they say, for redemption. So, you know, we all come up short sometimes, but no matter how you know bad we mess up, there's always an opportunity to, to sort of turn things around. So what I want to talk about now is not to focus on failures. I know that's a word some people don't like to use, but it's not a failure as, um, uh, you know, that you've, you've failed miserably at something. It's just that this particular shot didn't come out the way that you anticipated. And I want to talk a little bit about that, and that sort of follows what we were just talking about now with the, you know, sort of making the most of the situation. But learning from those bad shots um, is, is key, because if you don't, then you're just going to keep repeating them. Let me hear what you have to say about this. So a reminder to the audience of, of two classic stories, one being Bobby Locke, who probably still is considered one of the world's best, if not the world's best putter, who never, ever watched the ball roll because he knew the odds were against every one of his putts going in the hole. And people would ask him, hey, why why don't you look at your putt? Why is it that the caddy always has to tell you, okay, Bobby, you can look now? And he said, well, if if you're going to tell me that I'm the world's best putter and I know the odds are against every putt going in, why am I trying to reinforce something really positive with a negative visual? And that's a classic example of it, just having the confidence, believing in a stroke, but more importantly, thinking, you know what? I've learned so much about putting that I'm going to concentrate on on what I do well, and that's being the world's best putter. Whether it goes in or not, is there's a consequence, sure, but I'm not going to judge myself on whether the ball goes in on in or not. I'm going to judge myself on how well I execute each putt. Another classic example is Jack Nicklaus, the, the world record for runner-up finishes. And if you go on YouTube and look at David Faraday's uh, TV show that, that ran for a long time, I want to say it was the first or second episode of the second season. He's interviewing Mr. Nicklaus in his home in Palm Beach Gardens, and he says, hey, I want to interview you about all your runner-up finishes. 
and this goes on for a while, and they're showing Nicholas all these highlights of his second-place finishes, and he looks at David very seriously. He says, look, I know what you're doing here, but I can't help you. I don't, I don't even remember those rounds. I just don't. Right. I, I know for a lot of people, second place is fantastic. But ask me about my 18 wins at a, of a major. Ask me about the USGA championships I did. I can tell you every shot of every hole of every round. Why don't you ask me those? And I, I think the moral <laughs> of the story there is as he learned young mm-hmm. that it was more important to to hold on to those positive things and remember yep. those positive things, he, even if there was a couple of doozies in there, that the collectiveness of that entire effort was positive and that if he held on to it, that could build more positiveness later on. At the end of the day, it's about misses. This is a game of misses. The, the last story I'll tell you, I want to, I don't remember the name, but Sam Snead, he, he, he was considered to have been playing the best round ever in USGA, in a USGA event. People called it the most perfect round of golf. He hit every fairway. He hit every green and misses a putt for birdie to shoot 66. And in the scorer's tent, he's asked, Mr. Sneed, how many perfect shots did you hit today? And before the question could be completed, he puts up two fingers and shouts two. One was a putt. So here's a guy that shot. He, he ended up not winning the U.S. Open his entire career, unfortunately. But here's a guy that arguably played one of the best rounds to date ever recorded. People were calling it perfect. And he realized, look, I know it's not perfect. It's a game of misses. I'm trying to make my misses better than everybody else's. And that's what you Mm -hmm. see on TV. In particular, you see the team golfers Sunday afternoons that have done that the best. What you don't see are the people who don't make the cuts Friday, who their, their misses were more negligible more error-prone, more penal in regards to a larger score than the people who made the cut. And then the people you don't see Sunday, those those are the people who just can't keep up making great misses as the 5, 10, 15 on the leaderboard. And it's like that every week. And that's why you see leaderboards change. But that's also why yeah. you see the greats, Nicholas, Woods, Rom right now, just always on the leaderboard because their intention is to play great misses. It's not to play perfect shots. And and I think if all golfers could learn a lesson from that miss, that their miss is trying to be perfect, the enemy of good, don't worry about it. Just go out there, learn from your misses, as you said, understand what you did, forget it from the standpoint of view, don't harbor it, don't, don't, frustrates yourself over it, but the next time you are faced with that situation, remember those three stories and remember the story that you portrayed Mm -hmm. yourself out the last round, last year, whatever, to say, you know what, I missed this one poorly last time. I'm not going to miss it as bad this time. I'm actually, this is an opportunity to show myself, hey, I can hit great messes. Yeah, and, and yeah, those are great stories, particularly with Nicholas, because uh, again, you know, he did have, uh, you know, arguably, arguably the you know, most number, you know, the most runner-ups, 
but he didn't focus on that and you know he didn't dwell on that and and this is what happens with a lot of golfers is they're dragging and i've said this so many times you know that they're bringing baggage from all of the previous rounds um with them to the first tee and you know they're playing this particular round remembering and reminiscing about all the bad shots they hit and you know the difference between somebody like nicholas and and you know woods and and some of the others is that they don't um and it's not you know it's not a matter of being arrogant or not realistic is there's no need for them to think about that they know they made a bad shot on hole number three um they understand what they did wrong they made adjustments they corrected and they moved on and they don't dwell on it they don't think about it anymore because it's there's nothing they can do to change that particular shot so there's no reason for them to even think about it so it's very understandable why nicholas would interrupt uh, um you know Faraday and say that because there was no point in talking about it i mean it might make great uh, you know television and great conversation from um you know the announcer's perspective but from the player i can certainly understand why nicholas wouldn't want to do that why, why talk about something that you can't change um you know it, it just doesn't make any sense uh, and this goes to the the next point you know uh, mentioning the first t and this is one that you know, a lot of people, everybody's nervous. You know, we all uh, have moments, um, whether we're playing in a tournament of some sort, whether it's our club championship um, or some other, uh, maybe for charity, um, we all occasionally have the jitters. Um, they're normal, uh, but they're controllable. Um, you know, certainly years of training may not necessarily eliminate the jitters, uh, but with practice, they can certainly be controlled. When you're dealing with some of your students, when clearly they've identified, you know, uh, 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 where they've, you know, clearly identified the fact that they've got those jitters or that nervousness, if you will, that nervous energy. Um, what is some of the advice that you give them how to handle that? And what do you do specifically um, to, you know, is there something that you teach them um, to overcome some of that challenges so that when they're faced with it the next time, they're going to handle it much differently? I go back to a high school coach playing soccer who really brought me out of a jitter. Uh, it was a big game, and within the first 10 minutes, I blew it. And he pulls me off, put somebody else in for about five minutes, and he just told me to sit. And he looked at me and says, you ready to go back in? And I'm like, you know what, I don't have an answer for you because you've never pulled me. He says, I pulled you because you cared, but you cared so much that you forgot about what the task at hand was. You forgot about the here and now. You forgot about what, what it meant to start the game, not necessarily not feeling nervous or jittery so much as channeling that energy correctly. Do you think you can go back in and do that, to paraphrase what the conversation was? I went back in. I had a great game from there on out, but the uh, the goals I let through in those first ten minutes inevitably were the winners. It when people step to the first tee, it does mean you care, and that's fantastic. I'd rather somebody care than not care, but mm -hmm. you can care a little bit too much, and when you're caring too much, your mind's and nor your heart is in the here and now. 
what I, what I ask people to do is make sure that when you step to the first tee, the caring is now focused solely on what you want and what you want to accomplish. If you want a ball to hit a certain target, then to accomplish it, what do you want to do in return? And you start becoming very narcissistic, for lack of a better way of saying it. As you draw your focus in, the distractions that create even more nerves sort of go away. Breathing techniques work. Uh, I can tell you there's been some golf schools where a client has said, you know, I got to be able to play my member guest and there's 100 people watching me and I always hit the gallery. I hit it completely sideways. Of course, where we were, I asked about 50 people in the grill, all bought them all a beverage and brought them out to the first tee and said, okay, here's your throng. Make it, let's, let's work through it. By simulating that same situation, this guy actually worked through it. It happened three times every day on three different holes, but it always happened on the first hole. And he couldn't thank us enough for thinking outside the box that way, for putting him, for, for challenging his demon head on. That's somewhat of an extreme. A lot of people can't do that at their club. But I, I, what I want people to understand is you care, and that's fantastic. At least you do care. But how do you take some of that nervousness and channel it into, I want to accomplish this, and this is how I'm going to do it, and get very self-absorbed, start blocking out the distractions, under, literally hear yourself breathe, feel yourself breathe, let, let the, the carbon dioxide out to the point where when you step up to the ball, you know nothing more than the ball and where it's going to go, and you trust yourself wholly to do it. The nerves isn't that you don't trust yourself. The nerves are basically things that are preventing you from trusting yourself, and you've got to just let those clear. Well said. You know, I think really what it boils down to is this. I think you develop a confidence when you have a, a game plan at hand. So whether it's for that specific round um, or an event that you're playing in, and if you have developed a strategy for that and are confident that you can execute that strategy, yeah, you might still be a little bit nervous. I think a lot of people that aren't able to cope or handle or control uh, that nervousness is because they don't have a game plan set up. They don't have a goal um, coming into that event or coming into that round. So when they're faced with some adversities, the nerves escalate because they don't know what to do next. They haven't got a game plan. If you ever watch, you know, some of the best players out there, um, they hit bad shots too, but they still have a game plan for each hole what they want to achieve. So maybe they've hit it, to, you know, into the rough instead of out in the fairway. That doesn't mean, okay, well, I've messed this hole up. They still execute that game plan. Um, ultimately, they may end up being a stroke off than what they planned, but they still execute that game plan. And that's why they're able to do it with confidence. And I think when you have that confidence um, and that, that sort of, you know, interim goal, if you will, um, and game plan, then the nerves really... Uh, are easy to are certainly easier to manage because you know okay even if I do hit a bad shot I'm going to still focus on what the task is that I've I've set for myself for the, this particular hole and ultimately for that round and I think 
over time, as confidence and more and more confidence builds up, the nervousness, not necessarily is it going to go away completely, but becomes more manageable because you're more confident in how you're going to respond to certain situations. Um, this next one is one, too, that you know we've talked about before, but I think is one that really, uh, particularly some of our club golfers, don't really think about or don't focus on, and that is um, realizing that visualization is a useful tool. Uh, it can be very valuable in a variety of situations and environments, including the golf course. Um, you know, athletes, business professionals, you know, whether they're actors, performers, what have you, uh, professionals in all walks of life use visualization to help them achieve success. Um, talk a little bit about this because, and, and what we mean by visualization. Sure. I, I call visualization the movie trailer you see in your mind's eye pairing to hit a shot. Can you actually see yourself addressing the golf ball, making the swing, watching the ball fly, watching the ball fly to your intended target, just like you're watching a movie trailer, whether you're sitting in a theater or sitting at home. And can that envisionment repeat? It's not, it's not good enough for it to just happen once. Can you see this happening more often? And you don't have to be on the golf course to use visualization. It's a really good strategy I used early in my golf career that I would sit in, a, in just a chair outside on my patio, close my eyes, and see myself playing certain holes of a golf course that I had a tournament to play, say, in a couple of days. Uh, that bugaboo hole that you just can't get a good score on, can you utilize some of that energy to envision yourself seeing that you can not necessarily conquer the hole, but not let the hole conquer you? And, and the more vivid you see this, not as a dream, but as a realization, you create some confidence. You, you create some ideas that you may want to try and you feel confident about. Here's a tool I've never tried to use before. And not, I'm not talking about visualization so much as because you visualized the shot. Maybe you never thought about that shot in that situation before. Yes, professionals, very successful professionals in, the, in golf and other sports, business, corporate, you name it, a lot of visualization is used, not necessarily to see the future. And that's where you've you got to draw the line. You're not trying to see and predict the future so much as you're trying to see yourself in the future, perform at the level that you believe you're capable of performing at not what you're expecting to do. And that's, again, I go back to it, expectations of failures. If you sit there and envision that you could do this and expect you're going to do it, you're going to fail. The carryover is your pre-shot routine, that once you've seen this visualization in your mind's eye, that you feel confident about it, it repeats without you having to put a lot of thought or effort into that repetitiveness. Now you have to bridge the gap. How do I get to the ball still envisioning that? How do I prepare and set up and do the things necessary for me to be that golfer I just watched? What, what is it that I'm going to accomplish as I swing? Most likely not a swing thought because as you're watching the visualization, you're probably not thinking of swing thoughts. You're watching the swing happen. 
can you actually just let yourself let it happen? The Dr. Bob, who you have on later, he and I have had many conversations about this. I've had this conversation with a lot of sports psychologists throughout my career. It's a really vital part of a very successful person. It's it's mm-hmm. the it's the plunger that can get you unstuck. Is is somebody told yep. me once? If you think of a plunger trying to unstuck a, a plumbing leak, they, that envisionment can literally do the trick. So long as you're confident enough to know that is you in that envisionment. Yeah. It and again, well said. You know, it, it's it's interesting because uh, again. A lot of golfers, you know, even even on the practice tee, you know, even when they're on the range, you know, they're not really visualizing the shot that they want to produce. And it doesn't matter whether or not you execute it exactly the way you want. The fact that you're at least imagining what that shot is and what you want it to be um, is it, certainly going to increase the likelihood of success. Now, there may be some uh, initial flaws in your in your swing that need to be worked on, but ultimately, if you know what it is or you visualize what it is that you want to accomplish, it helps to make it that much more easier to be able to achieve. But if you're sort of going out willy nilly and do it, and that's what a lot of players do, unfortunately. And this brings into uh, really the overall, and this is the last one, is the big picture, and why is it important? You know, golf is literally a series of swings, um, but each swing aims for one specific goal. So they need to know um, where they're going and how they plan to get there. Um, so the big picture is important. Um, you know, you're there to play a round of golf, and obviously you, you want to have a goal or, or uh, an agenda, if you will. Um, talk about that a little bit, because I think when you wrap everything that we've talked about tonight into that big picture, it makes a lot more sense. Go ahead. It, it does make more sense, and, and where people get – things a little bit out of shape when they're talking big picture. They think big picture is a score. To me, I think to you, you'll agree, big picture has more to do with what's the ultimate goal. It might not be a score. It mm-hmm. might be, hey, I had a lot of fun. Uh, that sounds contrite, but it, right. golf should be fun. It should be some work. It should be some effort. It should be challenging. But is that a big picture kind of thing? Sure it is. The other place where amateur golfers get a little lost with the big picture is judging themselves based off the big picture. Yeah. The the greatest players in the world don't judge themselves. They evaluate, and there's a big difference. Right. Evaluating is basically saying in the big picture scheme of things, how did this grade out? And is it getting me closer to that ultimate end of the big picture? But it requires you to be in the here and now, right now, to produce the smaller part of the bigger picture. When you get totally lost and engrossed, a lot of people do this. Uh, I'll give the most common example. You're 14 holes into a round, you realize you're going to shoot your career best, and you triple bogey your way in because you got so hyper-focused on the bigger picture, you forgot about the smaller parts that make up 
the bigger picture, and you had to be present right. for those in order for the big picture to sort of go through the funnel and come out as one nice, streaming, enjoyable round where you literally surprised yourself and achieved something maybe you didn't think was capable of, of achieving. However, you were because you could understand how the bigger picture was put together. That's really yeah, and and you know if you can yeah, and, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, uh, all I was just going to real quickly let me just jump in. All I was going to say was you know for some the big picture might not as you said not be the score. It might be just that they see improvement in their game, um, that they're seeing a regular improvement and they're moving in the direction towards their ultimate goal, which is to become a better player overall. Um, so it may as you said it may not be score related. It may be just hey I want to know and yeah I want to have fun, but. I want to see that I'm improving each time I'm out there. Um, sorry, go ahead. No, you, I, you, you were basically summing up what I was going to say. That it, big pictures are comprised of smaller packages. Uh, think of it as a monitor, how many pixels are in your monitor that make up the big picture. If you think of your golf game as each one of these pixels, just have to it just has to work. It just has to function. And it's functioning with all the other parts. When you realize you're just in that part of the big picture at that moment, and that's all that matters, most of the time big picture goals are achieved. They're not achieved mm-hmm. if you're thinking well past the present or you're dwelling on the past. Big pictures are created by the here and now. What are you doing right now to get to that end, realizing this is only a small part of it? Yeah, part of that big picture is when you're setting your goal, especially early in the season. For those of you that you know maybe have been out for a little bit now, you want to set those goals early. Uh, you know, What is it you want to accomplish this season? What's your big picture for the season? Is it becoming... Um, you know, a better ball striker? Is it being more consistent? Is it, you know, better putter? Is it, hey, I just want to have more fun. Whatever it is, you want to set those early in the season, and you want to have an overall, you know, when, when you know, we talk with, um, you know, some of the Epson Tour players, as an example, off the women's tour, um, you know, they have a big picture for the season. They have a goal, a big picture, if you will, an overall goal, but all the way through the season, they have little goals and little steps to get them there. And there's things that they may need to work on throughout their, their season um, to achieve that. Um, but a, a lot of times I, I think for many of our amateur golfers is they don't have any of that. They're just going out and, you know, they're working on a few things, maybe if their instructors get it, but they're not really focusing on the big picture and, um, and some of the other things that we talked about here tonight. So, you know, whether it, I've always said this, and, and I think you would agree, and, and I know many others that have been on the show, and, and this is one of the reasons why I wanted to pick. Believe it or not, it, it was just purely coincidence that Bob was coming on tonight that I chose this topic. But um, what, what it will work out well, of course, as the evening progresses. But, you know, what I, what I do is golf mimics life, and life mimics golf in so many ways because we have so many challenges and obstacles in both arenas. Um, and And if you're doing well in one, if you're able to control and handle in your everyday life, then again, even if you're not the best ball striker, even if you're not hitting solid shots, 
it gives you a leg up, for lack of better words, um, to help manage your golf. So if you can manage your life, you can certainly find a way to manage. Now, you might need help doing that, but you can find ways to manage your golf game. And vice versa, if you're a good manager on the golf course, then it will typically trickle on uh, over into your everyday life as well. So that's why when I say they mimic one another is there's so many similarities and so many valuable lessons that you can draw from one to help with the other. And I think that was one of the reasons why I wanted to have this discussion tonight. But uh, any final thoughts, John, before uh, I let you go? No, it was a great conversation. That Sometimes we do get caught in the minutia of the technicalities of the game, the the smaller nuances that cloud our brain that prohibit us from understanding what we talked about tonight. Um, the, the bigger picture, uh, the, the, the story I'd like to leave with is uh, I picked up an eight-year-old young lady uh, who moved to the area recently. She was working with one of my assistants, and the assistant had to leave. And I really didn't want to pick up this young lady, but I did because it was the right thing to do. And one of the things that I find myself doing with her every week is talking about bigger picture stuff related to mm-hmm. her golf game. Very active young lady, plays baseball, dances. She's homeschooled she, so she can do all these things. And her father came to me very, very worried that she's always – quote-unquote, reverting back to a slice, or she's losing distance. And Mm -hmm. I I asked him, I said, you do keep stats of all this, correct? He says, yeah. I said, I want you to go back from January when he started working with me in my academy. And it's not to prove that we're doing the right thing by her so much as she's doing the right thing by her and you are. Can you just Mm -hmm. total up some stats? So we can see the bigger picture of things because she is eight years old. And he right. texts me the next day and says, man, you were right. In the bigger scheme of things, I'm, I am more pleased than I've ever been. She's dropped 12 strokes. Uh, eight of those strokes are in putting alone. But she comes to a coaching session even more prepared. I'm always stressing, make herself proud to do her very best every shot, that it's, it's not acceptable to do something less than her best. And that's what golf requires, but that's what life requires. And the parents are behind it. They talk about things. They relate things at home to her that relate back to golf. It's not going to be long before this young lady really starts tearing it up. And look out, world, if she ever decides, I'm going to do nothing but golf. The, the real yep. the, the, the moral to the story is it doesn't matter what age, what gender, what your skill level or experience is. Life is a microcosm of golf. Golf's a microcosm of life. And you, if you take things one step at a time, one shot at a time, as we call it, I call it one task at a time, the here and now, let's just be present right now. Let's not worry about anything else. It, it all sort of works out. It all sort of works out yeah. more so in your favor than you realize. I couldn't agree more. Um, John, very quickly, best way that folks can reach out to you? John, John Hughes Golf, 
johnheesgolf.com, any of the social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, John Hughes Golf. Uh, Ted, want to thank you again. It's always a pleasure. We ran solo. Sorry, Jamie, for you missing it. You missed a great conversation. It was right up your alley. But I do appreciate the opportunity every second Thursday, Ted, to contribute, share the passion, and and let people know that there's people like us out there who can help them in more ways than one. I couldn't agree more. John, thank you as always, and uh, you and I never have a problem talking uh, on the show. So um, even though Jamie wasn't able to make it with us tonight, we'll get her the next time. But uh, thank you very much. Have a great uh, uh, weekend, and I look forward to you coming on uh, the next time on the Coach's Corner panel. Have a good weekend, John. Great. Thanks. You too. All right. When we come back, we will be joined by my very special guest of the evening, Dr. Bob Winters. Right now, a quick message from Golf Tips Magazine. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple-to-follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to GolfTipsMag.com and subscribe today. All right, welcome back, everybody. And uh, let me tell you a little bit about my special guest this evening, and then we'll bring him right on. Uh, as I mentioned, my guest tonight is Dr. Bob Winters. He's an internationally renowned sports psychologist specializing in confidence building, sports vision, putting, and performance enhancement. Uh, his mentoring philosophy is centered around the psych- uh, psychology of achieving personal excellence. Uh, with over 45 years of experience as an athlete, coach, researcher, and educator, uh, works with a number of athletes around the world and has multiple champions at uh, multiple levels. Uh, from ranging from juniors right up to professional. And uh, he's been trained in sports psychology, uh, motor learning and development, sports vision, and sports medicine. And as I said earlier, in addition to his sports work, he is also an accomplished author and inspirational speaker and consults with many private business owners and corporations. So please welcome uh, my very special guest, Dr. Bob Winters. Good evening, Bob. Welcome. Good evening, Ted. Hey, Ted. How are you? Thank you for having me on. Um, it's a pleasure. Um, what I what I left out there is you've actually been on the show before, and I was I was looking earlier before we we went on tonight, and to see when it, and you were on in August of 2015, and I was thinking, wow, yeah, that's that was, that I thought you were like on a long yeah. time ago. <laughs> I know <laughs> that's what I was that's what a, I was a, thinking a lot too. Happened, you know, for me and for you since 2015, Ted. So uh, congratulations on all your success, all your endeavors, and. And for me, it's Thank just you. been, you know, an unbelievable experience uh, to helping, you know, players at, at every level all over the world and uh, get them in the winner's circle. And, but most importantly, helping them to enjoy, I think, the greatest game ever invented. Yeah, that's, you know, that's probably, I would say, right in front is we want people to have fun at this game because we know the challenges and what we can talk about some of those in a little bit, but you know, golf is certainly a challenging game, unlike some of the other sports. Um, and, but ultimately, you want to have fun. 
Um, what I want to do before we get into our conversation is I just want you to very briefly talk about how you got in golf, not so much professionally, but just in the interested in the game. Were you, you know, how old were you kind of thing when the first recollections of, of playing the game and, uh, and then just sort of bring us up to current? Well, I was very, very small. I grew up in a really little town uh, in Indiana, right in the middle of some of the very best farmland in the Midwest. And uh, my parents didn't play golf. We didn't belong to a country club. You know, we were a working family, and the closest golf course is about 11, 10 miles, about 10 or 11 miles away. And I just picked up a golf club one day. My brother, older brother, was in, you know, the U.S. Army, and he started, you know, taking up the game. So, I started playing when I was about 14. Uh, I've always been self-taught, and I went and started reading you know, all the different books that I possibly could. Uh, I played in high school, and then I went to uh, a summer golf school. It was the first Arnold Palmer Golf Academy. It was held in Stratton Mountain, Vermont. This is 1971, mm. so I'm dating myself a little bit. And <laughs> it was so far ahead of its time, Ted. It really was. I mean, they even had a video room, a video camera that looked like a huge motion picture camera. And right. they had, you know, a lot of different sort of cameras. But uh, the first day I drove from Indiana, and like I said, I was very small. I was only about five foot and only about 90 pounds when I was a senior in high school when I graduated. So I went there that summer, you know, getting ready before I went to school, to college. And the, the very first day I was there, I locked my keys in my car. This is an important story because I locked <laughs> right. my keys in my car, and we didn't have uh, a lot of locksmiths up there at Stratton Mountain, Vermont at that time. So my parents sent via the regular mail, snail mail, uh, an extra set of keys. Mm. So for three or four days, I was there at the golf course with 125 other boys for a three-week golf school. And at the end, Arnold Palmer was going to come and spend a couple of days you know, with us. And I borrowed a club, you know, from Bodie Marks, who was the Yale golfer captain, and he had some Ben Hogan's. And I remember the first day out, I had a Ball State T-shirt and some blue jeans, some borrowed, you know, golf shoes. And they had a 215-yard par three hole that went up the hill. And no one had mm. actually had an ace on that hole before, ever. And I stood up there the very first day with a borrowed driver. I hit a driver on this par three. It hit the front of the green, and it went in. I made a hole-in-one wow. the very first day at the Palmer Golf Academy. And three weeks later, I went on, you know, to win one of the championships. And Arnold Palmer he had a chance to, to play some holes with him and, and meet him. And, uh, you know, just, you know, talk to him. And he asked me, he said, well, Bobby, he goes, I've never had a hole-in-one with the driver. What does it feel like? And I said, it feels pretty daggone good. And Arnold, who has <laughs> always been, you know, my hero, he says, I, I imagine it does. And he gave me that big Arnold smile and, you know, kind of, you know, right. shook my shoulders. And that, and that began, you know, sort of this career where I went to Ball State University and played. And then mm. uh, I've got to be really good and went, you know, turned professional. And then I got, you know, into – the world of sports psychology, golf psychology, and performance enhancement. And the rest is history. And I've been with, you know, some, some of the very best people in the world. And I've been the resident mm -hmm. sports psychologist with David Ledbetter at the World Teaching Headquarters right. here in Orlando, Florida at Reunion. 
And but it's been a hell of a journey, I got to tell you. So that's how we got started. You know, it was just uh, I picked up a club of self-taught and started reading a lot of books by Player, Palmer, and Nicholas. And I've been kind of mm-hmm. self-taught my whole life, but I've had a lot of great input from a lot of great teachers along the way. Yeah, it, what a great story. You know, um, Arnold definitely was uh, by long shot the best ambassador of the game you know nicholas has done so many great things for the game as well but arnold was definitely i think the the ambassador um for golf because he just had that personality you know everybody that you talk to and and the stories that you hear all say the same thing is he just you know he obviously had such a love for the game and it was just like you know you were talking to a friend it was not uh, you know uh somebody up on a pedestal he never made you feel that from everybody i've spoken to and uh, so what a great story and what a great opportunity and, and wow, what a great hole in one to, to have as, a, as an well, academy too, so, you know, to make it yeah. even uh, add ice into the cake. Well, what I think was really a great story was, you know, the marketing director, I think his name was Richard Lechtaler, uh, was, you know, using my picture and I think it was on the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times, my picture and they said, you know, first day at the Stratton Arnold Palmer Golf Academy, young golfer from Indiana gets a hole in one. Look what we're really doing here at this academy. <laughs> you know, <Right>. so <laughs> it was a great right. marketing strategy. But what, you know, I really want to say about, you know, the king. And, and he really was just, you know, my idol, yeah. you know, just a wonderful person. And, and I've got, had a chance to, you know, play some golf with him, you know, over the years. And, and so sad of his passing because, you know, mm-hmm. Arnold Palmer was the absolute most loved athlete that I think I can think of. I, I people respect Tiger, they respect Jack, and and they love you know Jack for what he's done. But mm-hmm. the love, the genuine love for Arnold, because Arnold would actually make you like and that's not a VIP, but the very individual person that you were. And yeah. I remember I hadn't seen him in two or three years. Uh, after I, he was a, a counselor, and I worked up there a couple of years later uh, with him. But he always remembered me, remembered my name. And every time, and I think a lot of people forget this about Arnold and many of the great celebrity athletes that we have, is their ability to recognize faces and names. But I remember at the Western Open, I was on the bridge, and I was there with my brother, and Arnold was coming through. And I was about 21, 22 at the time. And Arnold looked at me dead in the eye. He goes, hey, Bobby, are you out here to follow me? And I was just taken back. I go, (laughs) I am. And because he knew my name. And to me, I've always thought this. In in my world, Ted, and and you know this to be true, the two Mm -hmm. most important words coming out of someone else's mouth is your name on their lips, and they say it with a smile. And that's what Arnold Palmer did to me, and that was the greatest lesson I, I've ever learned from, you know, from the king himself. I, I couldn't agree more. All right, we're going to get into a little deeper dive into what you do now. Um, we're gonna, this is actually coming from, uh, I, I guess, a, a golf mental game strategy seminar that you had uh, a few years back. Uh, we're not going to date too much, but uh, we'll go back a few years. And, and this really talks about the expectations and performance that uh, you put together and and there's really two aspects of it. There's the negative expectations and positive. So we're going to try to get through everything here if we can. Um, so <laughs> okay. I'm going to – I know there's a lot of them. So, But um, we'll, we'll go through this. But what I want to talk about 
is one of the expectations, and we're going to start with the negative first, of course, and then we'll finish with the positive, but um, this is something, an expectation a lot of people have, and I'm going to let you just go, but um, the expectation of playing perfect golf. Your thoughts? Well, well, absolutely. I mean, I think that's the whole notion. And the problem we have with expectations is that they interfere with our ability to stay in the moment and focus on execution. Because you have to understand really what an expectation is. An expectation in golf is a preset standard of performance that says, this is what I anticipate to happen in the future. And this is the way it should be, it could be, and I want for it to be. And the problem with the expectations, you know, we imagine, you know, playing this unbelievable great game, but when our results don't equal or match, you know, those expectations, we're disappointed. We become frustrated. We become angry. We become discouraged. So many times we have these great feelings, this great anticipation of what may or may not happen, and we want it to happen. And so we're almost setting ourselves up for disappointment. So when people have these expectations of playing golf, many of them say, wow, if I can just play just the way I'm doing it on the range. And a lot of times, you know, players are on the range and they get into a groove, they start hitting it really well, and they say, wow, I'm really playing perfect. And then they think they have to go out and play perfect. And the reality is, it, there's a big gap between really you know, what was imagined and what was experienced. And that, that creates you know, all the frustration. So that's the first you know, expectation is that expectation of playing perfect golf. And we all have right. been with people who are never satisfied with the shot. And <laughs> even, if you, even if they had a good shot and yeah. you say, that, that's a good shot, Ted, really nice. And the perfectionist, you know, not in you or somebody, they come back and go, right. yeah, I'm not that good. I hit it off the toe a little bit. <laughs> so they're never, they're right. really never satisfied. They're, they never get any good juju even out of their good right. shots. So they always reach this unachievable standard. So a perfectionist goal, you know, they, you would say stepping stones to success, a perfectionist mm -hmm. and those people with high expectations they create what I call stopping stones. They get in their own way. They just never, ever get off you know, to a good start. They never finish the deal, and they're never satisfied. That's the problem with having this perfectionistic uh, attitude you know, and the expectation of playing perfect. Yeah, I, I think I've played with a few of those over the years, so I know exactly the type you're talking about. You know, you mentioned oh, about frustration and disappointment. Yeah. Oh, I know, <laughs> at least. Um, but, you know, you, you talk about frustration, disappointment. And another area is, is you know, the, they're focusing on the score or shooting low numbers. And what ultimately ends up happening, and we see this so much, um, you know, as instructors, is if they're having a bad round, maybe they've strung a few bad holes together, they're not able to recover. And it almost, you can almost see it in, in their, their way, their body language, and that is like they've given up. How do we handle that when you've got somebody that's trying to focus on those low numbers, they've got that high expectation that, hey, I've got to shoot low numbers, but when it doesn't happen, it's almost like they've given up. Well, it's as if they've had damaged their round. You know, what they had a pristine scorecard, they're going along really well, and next thing you know, they hit a bad shot, and then they start taking their trash. 
Instead of becoming golfers, they become garbage collectors. And there's a concept that I call is chucking. Chucking is something like choking, but it's, you know, associated with the feeling of yuck. And, you know, chucking is when you actually just give shots away. You give it away through an unforced error. It's an emotional error. You get mad, mm-hmm. you get angry, you get upset, and you, before you know it, you play two or three holes, you've gone bogey, double bogey, bogey, and before you realize yeah. it you know, and you calm down, that's what chucking is. But the real problem comes, you know, Ted, is that I think almost 99% of the people who play the game are playing the wrong game. And they're playing the yeah. game of what I call a questioning mindset. Because the first thing people ask you when you come in, Ted, they do not ask you, hey, Ted, did you stay emotionally composed in every shot out there today? Did you enjoy your experience? <laughs> they, don't, they don't ask right. you that. What's the first thing they ask you? <laughs> what you they shoot. ask you, what, what'd you shoot? What'd you shoot? So it's all yeah. about the score. And, and this is the right. ultimate paradox in golf, Ted is that if you want to shoot really, really good scores, you have to be able to give up the notion of focusing all of your attention and purpose around shooting a score. Because ultimately, you know, the most important number in golf is one. Because that's the only Mm -hmm. shot you can do right now in the moment. And that's why having expectations, you know, takes you someplace where you don't want to go, either into the past or into the future. So if we can get you know, people to focus on the here and now, the power of this moment, and do it one after one until they're done, I guarantee you people would be playing a heck of a lot better, and they'd have a lot more fun. And we were talking about the fundamentals. That's really what the first three letters you know, of fundamental is. It's fun. Right. And it should be, duh, it's mental. Fun, duh, <laughs> fun, duh, mental, right? So that's, that's right. sort of we try, you know, as a sports psychologist, to keep it fun, to keep people happy. So that's that's a pretty big job, you know. And I've got a lot of people that aren't that happy playing. They say they are, right? But they come off the golf course very frustrated. Yeah, and and this goes to either you know, the next one here, and that is they're they're focusing so much on the results or the outcomes uh, rather than the task at hand. This is another area that. Um, a lot of people uh, allow themselves to be distracted um, while they're playing as they're more focused on, okay, what's the result going to be instead of focusing what they need to be focusing on at that particular moment, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, think about it. You know, as we go and play, there's so many golfers that, you know, go bogey, bogey, par. And so they start talking to themselves. They say, hang on, two over after the first three holes. Let me see here. And they start predicting. They start projecting their score. They go, if I par out, I can shoot 38 here on the front, shoot 36 on the back. I could have it. They're already trying to account for their game of golf, and they've only played three holes. Or they're on, you know, a hole, and they're saying, this, if I make this putt, I can actually shoot, you know, my personal best record. And so they start labeling, and they start getting ahead of themselves Instead of actually being over a four-foot putt, you know, and saying to yourself, this is a four-foot putt that should be made, you know, these people have the expectation of, I need to make this in order to qualify. I need to make this in order, you know, to break 80 or break 90 or whatever it is. So, again, these expectations get in the way of us really performing to our true potential. 
Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, uh, I've interviewed a number of uh, LPGA and, and players and, and uh, off of the Epson tour as well. And it was interesting. We were actually uh, talking about it on my other program that I do Tuesday mornings called The Women of Golf. And my good friend, uh, LPGA professional Cindy Miller, and I host that together. And, you know, we were talking about this last Tuesday about how we had had over the years a number of players who had never won um, and were frustrated, but they had an expectation of winning because they thought, well, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm good enough. I'm grinding. I'm out there doing everything I need to do, but I'm not winning. And they forgot to really have fun. So there was an expectation of winning and, and being first and, you know, being in the top 10 or what have you to the point where every single one of them that we were talking to that had that mindset had literally was on the verge of giving up, just, you know, cashing in their chips, say, I'm going to go find something else to. And then for some reason, maybe they spoke to you or they went to one of your seminars, I don't know, but they started to focus on, you know, just going out there and having a good time. And every single one of them won the very next week. What do you think about that? Well, I'm going to give you a little, uh, and the listening audience, sort of a little analogy I've always talked about. And it's about dogs and cats. And I don't know, Ted, if you have dogs, you have cats at your home, but, uh, you know, we're oh. big animal people here in the winter's household. But I always tell people yeah. that recreational golf, practice golf, rehearsal golf, it's much like having a dog. And, you know, the dog, you know, you say, come here, boy or girl, Rover, come here. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're wagging their tail and they are just, they are so happy to see you. And it's almost like you're practicing before a big tournament. Everything's working. You're flushing the ball. You're making all the putts. You're just joyous. The dog is just waiting, wagging its tail, just happy to see you. That's really what sort of fun golf it should be, right? Right. Now, tournament, right. tournament golf or consequence golf or golf that means something, that has some perceived value to you. Ooh, this is a whole different animal. And I always tell people it's like a cat. Tournament golf or scoring golf is like a cat. Cats are independent. Cats don't care, all right? And the more you say, come here, come on, Einstein, come here, come here, come on, come on, buddy, the more you try to chase the cat and really, you know, Mm -hmm. try to get a score, the cat runs away from you. And you're going, daggone you, cat, come here. And what happens, you end up chasing, you end up chasing the cat, the cat just right. keeps chasing its tail, and you put forth a lot of effort. So people go, well, hold on, how does that pertain to golf? Well, the trick in order to get the cat to sit on your lap is to let go of trying to catch the cat's tail meaning let go of score, let go of your ego, let go of your reputation, let go of your handicap, just play golf one shot at a time. And see, when people go into a person's house that has a cat and they don't like cats, they go, I I really don't like cats. And people who have cats go, oh, the cat, you know, it'll know, it won't disturb you. But here's what happens when you go into that type of situation. The cat looks at this human and goes, hey, this human is ignoring me. I must have them. Mm-hmm. And the next thing you know, the cat starts coming around. And that's what happens, you know, when you play your right. game and, and, and just let go of the score, the cat comes up, starts purring, and everything that you wanted but you weren't chasing comes to you. And that's really what we call process golf. You're just doing your thing and doing it the way that you know and having a blast 
you know, in your skin, playing your game. And that's how you actually get the cat to come to you. So that's the difference between dogs and cats, Ted. And I think, you know, a lot of people, Mm -hmm. you know, have told me that analogy really speaks to them. They understand that. And so what that means is you let go about all these expectations, the expectations of winning, the expectations Mm -hmm. of trying to live up to others' expectations. You know, you let go of, you know, trying to win because, well, you're, you're the former club champion. Well, you're supposed to win. It's your home course. When you let go of all that other stuff and just let it go and say, here's what I'm going to do. And these are really where we move into the positive expectations. And these are the mm-hmm. things that really will work. And this is really how you get, you know, the cat to sit on your lap and to get to the scores that you've always dreamed about. And that's really kind of think where we should go next. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, and <laughs> one of the first ones here, no, I, I agree. And, you know, because the last two of the others are, are you've really sort of touched on anyways in a, in a roundabout way. Um, one of the things that I think a lot of people struggle with, and this is where having that positive expectation of really having a clear strategy or plan, um, a lot of our club golfers do not have. And John and I, my earlier guest, John Hughes, who's I know you know, he's talked to you a number of times over the years. We talked oh, about yeah. this very thing, about having a clear plan and, and strategy, if you will, um, for whatever you know, situation, whether it's a tournament or just a round or what have you. Um, talk, John, that a little bit about the importance of having that plan and what we're referring to having a plan. Well, I grew up in the age of John Wooden, you know, the great basketball coach at UCLA, and he always had a great saying. He says, if you fail to plan, you're just planning to fail. Now, that's a life mm-hmm. skill, and that's, you know, for everything. But it's so true in golf because golf is a thinking person's game. I mean, you just, step, you just can't step up there. And we talk about, you know, the routine, ready, aim, fire. I think, you know, a lot of golfers just step up there. They don't aim. They fire. And then they say, gee, I really wasn't ready. So that's the whole point right. is that having, having a, a clear plan before you step into a shot, because the one thing I have known as a player, as an educator, as a researcher, is, you know, the one thing you have to have is that you have to have clarity of purpose. What is it that I want to do with this shot? And I think if players just, you know, listen to me, if you go into every shot and you look at, you know, the situation, you just take a little time to say, what's the very best shot I can hit here? You know, where's the widest part of the fairway? This is what I need to do to hit it from point A to point B to point C. And if I think every shot through, that will give me this decisive quality because me being the confidence doctor, that's what I know creates confidence. We're creating confidence behind the ball long before we step in to aim and address it. So the more sure and the more certitude and the more clear we could be on this decision to hit the shot, that's going to give us what we call movement confidence when we step in to hit the golf ball. And that to me is that, you know, action follows thought, you know. So mm-hmm. when your thinking's in a good place, your body processes, you know, will follow. So it isn't the other way around, but action follows thought. So that's why we always say have a clear plan, you know, and say this is what I'm going to do, this is how I do it, 
then that will give you that green light where you can step in and hit that shot. You know, another area, well said, another area too is a lot of players are not focusing in the present moment. They're thinking about past shots. They're thinking about, you know, two holes ahead. Maybe they've got that uh, difficult hole. It's a tough par three. They're thinking about that when they need to be focusing at the task at hand. Um, And as you put it, an expectation that I'm focused in the here and now. Talk on that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the whole point. I mean, we talk about the gift of the present moment. And it's really the gift of now. When someone gives you a gift, they go, here's your present. (laughs) All right. And it's a play on words. But the present moment Mm -hmm. is your gift of this moment because that's what makes it so special because this is the only moment in your lifetime, if you think about it, that you can do anything about. I mean, what's happened, you know, just a few moments before, that's the past. And the future, well, it hasn't happened yet. We will get there. But I I love, you know, this little saying that I heard many years ago. And it says, I have no future. I have no past. My goal Mm -hmm. is to make this present moment last. And I'll repeat mm-hmm. that, you know, for the for the listeners. I think it's so important. It is, I have no future. I have no past. My goal is to make this present moment last. And when you make that present moment and you really are absorbed and engaged in performing in that moment, and we can do that one after one after one until you're done, that is the mantra success. Now, if you actually start to think like that, now you are thinking like the top elite professionals in the world. And that's why they Mm -hmm. shoot low scores consistently day after day, week after week, month after month. Because the Jack Nicholas's, the Tiger Woods, the Annika Sorenstam, that's what they've learned. And they have trained their minds and their bodies to be in that moment. And that's really what it means to be in the here and now. And once you have control of that, you have control of your mind, you have control of your effort, you know, good things will happen. Good things will come to you. Yeah, that's such a great point, you know, because when you you look at all the players that you just mentioned, I mean, obviously, you know, they're able to hit some great golf shots, uh, but they weren't necessarily the best ball strikers in, in their profession. And, you know, but today's golfer is so focused on being perfect out there, hitting every shot just perfect, but yet they can't put it all together. And a lot of it is because they're, they're, they're thinking too much and they're not focusing, as you said, on the here and now. And, and another thing, too, is I, I think a lot of them lack a routine, a, a preparatory, if you will, in getting ready to execute uh, that particular shot. And when, you, when I'm on the range and I'm looking up and down the range and I see a lot of players um, you know, warming up for their, for their game or what have you, none of them have a routine. I'm not talking obviously at the professional level, but I'm talking at just the amateurs. They don't have a, have a routine. I see that at pro-ams all the time too. They just go out there and, and they step up and they hit a shot and then they wonder why, you know, it just sliced into the trees or what have you. They don't have any sort of a pre-shot routine, right? That, I mean, I know you've seen it many times, right. right? Oh, I've had so go many ahead. players, you know, ask me, go, Doc, you know, take a look at my routine. What do you think? I go, wow, it looks really consistent. And they go, it does? And I go, yeah, it's very consistent 
and it's consistently inconsistent, what I'm saying to you. I said, every time you step into the ball, it's different. And so the whole point, and and I was part, you know, of this wonderful University of Virginia uh, team and faculty and doctoral scholars that where we were taking a look at free shot routines and the, the whole notion about them years ago. But the most important part of the routine, it isn't just, you know, the number of looks, the timing, the sequencing. Right. But the most important thing about the routine was, is that it was habituated. You do it every time. And the most important part mm-hmm. of that routine is that when you stepped into the ball, you knew that your golf ball was going to go to your intended target. So the yeah. expectation that I will stick to my routine is something. And your routine is your security blanket. It's the one thing that insulates you, and it actually just sort of helps you disconnect from all of the distractions and absolutely helps you absorb, you know, the target and get into, you know, this moment. That's why the routine is so important. And most people don't realize that. And you know, people say, well, when do I actually, you know, use the routine? Well, the first thing you have to do, you have to start practicing the routine so that it does mm-hmm. become a routine. So that's the point is that, you know, I always like to have my players, whether, you know, they're on the tour or they're at, you know, developmental tours or even my college and junior players, I like for them to mm-hmm. actually start before they go to the first tee to hit at least 10 balls and go through their whole pre-shot routine procedure with a club going to right. different targets. And once you can do mm-hmm. that, that helps create this transfer effect. We always talk about there's a time to train and a time to trust. Well, what we're doing here, we are actually transferring that trust, you know, right there to the driving range so you can transfer it to the performance golf course here in just a few minutes. So, yeah, that expectation about, you know, sticking to your routine is absolutely gospel. I mean, that is just such, you know, an important aspect, you know, of playing great, consistent golf. You know, I used to, um, for years, I would, you know, various different players going through the routine. And, you know, a lot of times students would say, well, what can I, you know, I've, I've watched the pros on TV. What, what can we learn from them? And I say, well, this is what you can learn from them. You're not, you're, you're not going to swing like Tiger Woods or Nick Baldo or, uh, Annika Sorensen, you know, you, you have a different body, so forth. But you can learn from their routines, and you watch. And if you watch them on television and pay attention, uh, and Tiger was great for this. I mean, some people were amazed. But, you know, he would go through his routine. He'd get ready to execute the shot, and suddenly a camera would click, you know, halfway in his downswing. And he would stop, which was amazing in itself. And then he would go through and repeat that entire routine again and get himself ready to do that. Uh, you know, to execute that shot. And I said, that's what you can learn from Tiger Woods. Forget about what he does otherwise, because that's a, he's got a different game than you do. But you can learn from his routine. That doesn't mean to copy his routine, but to learn from what he does, so that when you're not ready, you go through your routine again if you need to. And that's what they need to learn, is to, to develop a consistent routine. And I think, you know, it's something that's been going on uh, social media here, it's Seve Ballesteros, and I believe he's at the 15th hole in Augusta. And, you know, mm-hmm. people are kind of, you know, up close to him, and he's going through his routine, and he gets a little bit distracted, you know, by someone right there close in the gallery. 
and the great, you know, Spaniard turns around and goes, you know, please, please, I'm, I'm nervous too. I know you're nervous. I'm nervous too. Please stay, <laughs> you know, please stay still. And he goes back through his routine, steps up and hits just a fantastic shot. And that's the whole point. I mean, everyone gets nervous. Everyone has anticipation. They have, you know, sure. elevated levels of arousal and anxiety. But that's the whole point. And I think, you know, the one thing I could just leave with all of the listeners here is that one of the most important things you can do if you're stepping into your shot, if you are not ready, if you are mm-hmm. unsure, take the time to back off and actually just yep. sort of get yourself together because almost 99% of all golfers make this mistake, and it is a great mental mistake. And it's an unforced mm-hmm. error because – they step in, they know they're not ready, they're uncomfortable, unsure, don't think they have enough club, but they say, eh, I'll just go ahead and hit it anyway. And the anyway yeah. shot they hit goes anywhere. And then when they hit it, they berate themselves and they go, that was just stupid. I knew I wasn't ready. Yeah. Why didn't I just back <laughs> away? So if we could just get everybody to do that one thing, if you just do this one thing, if you don't hear anything else that we're talking about tonight, you just never, ever hit a shot until you get yourself into this green light. Because so many times we walk into the golf ball with this yellow light and it turns into a red light, but we go ahead and hit it anyway. And it's much like driving a yeah. car and running a red light. You're just going to get T-boned. Yep. It, it just leads to disaster. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, and, For sure. Yeah, and, and that's, what I, that's what I say to them too is I'll, you know, I'll, I'll point this out and I'll say, you know, here are the best players – in the world doing their routines. They're all a little bit different, um, but essentially they have a routine and they stick to that routine and they're consistent every single shot. So if they're doing it, why aren't you? You say you want to be, become a better player. You want to have more fun. You want to get out there and, and be more successful in your round, but you're not doing the things that they're doing. They're more focused on other aspects of their game, trying to get their arm in the right position or trying to get the transition, whatever. And they're focusing on things that really are not going to make them a better player. The one thing that will certainly help them be, as you said, be organized and focused better, they don't do. And uh, you're exactly right. That's probably the, yeah, that's probably the one thing that we would, could probably say at the end of the show is, is, and we may even do that, is to, you know, work on that routine. And I, I do that with all of my students and have for many years, is that's one of the first things I teach them, um, is to develop a good routine. I'll look at what they've got, and more often than not, they're not very consistent. But I think one of the other things, too, that I know that you talk about here is, um, you know, no matter what the ultimate result ends up being, we want to be able to have, uh, you know, on each shot, to give our very best, 100% of our very best. And, and, and again, it, it goes to some of the other things we were talking about, is even if you don't ultimately get the results that you want, you still want to get How many times, and I'm sure you've talked to many, many of your players and students and that over the years, where you know mid-round they've had a couple of bad holes and they're not giving it 100% anymore, right? Exactly. I remember you know, back in 2001, 2002, um, a young Justin Rose and I were sitting down and I was asking, you know, Justin, I said, you know, do you ever find yourself just sort of going through the motions in a round of golf, almost as if someone's kind of invaded your body and you're really not there? And I said, I'm, I'm asking you, can you give 100%, you know, on each shot? Have you ever done that during a round? 
And, you know, Justin, who's one of the nicest and greatest players, you know, I've ever known, he said, Mm -hmm. no, I've never done that. Is that even possible? And we started laughing about it. I go, it is, but it's something you have to discipline yourself to. It's something you really have to sort of focus on. I said, think about it. Has there ever been a shot or a putt? And you said, I really want to make this. And you sort of up the ante. You up the willpower. You up the energy. You really get into that shot. He goes, yeah, I've done that several times. I go, that's kind of really what we're talking about. And I said, and that's really what, you know, high-level golf is. It's meaning, like, I'm going to step into each shot, and I'm going to get myself do the very best I can. And that's, and that's all you can do. I mean, sometimes we do it better mm-hmm. some days than others. And, and I'm just not talking about a peak performance or the getting in the zone. I'm just talking about having the willpower and the self-discipline to say, you know what? I'm going to give myself the very best chance to see how effective and how efficient I can hit this shot. And at the end of the day, you know, score aside, you should be able, you know, to sit down and go, did I do a good job? Was my mind focused on every shot at the end of the day? That is the most important statistic that the PGA Tour does not keep. At the end of the day, for mm-hmm. me, it's, it is the single most important stat is that were you there 100% on each shot? And if you weren't, why not? And can we do right. something about that? Because if we can get people to focus their energy and their effort, because that's what you can control, I'll tell you what, you know, again, you know, the, the results you know, will come to you tenfold. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and this brings us to our, our last expectation, and that is really the ability to accept your result and also be able to move on from that. That's something, too, that you know I, I always talk about and actually did it again earlier this evening, is how so many players, and, and again, I'm not talking at the, at the top level, but um, so many regu- of our regular golfers out there will literally drag baggage to every hole that they play. I mean, they're bad rounds, <laughs> bad holes, whatever. Yes. And yeah. they go in with an expectation that that's what's going to happen. Well, you know, I played this hole last week and, you know, I ended up bogeying it or double bogeying, whatever the case is. So their expectations change. Instead of accepting, okay, you know what, that was a bad hole, that was a bad round, whatever, but today's a new, a new day, a new game, so forth. Um, how do we accept that? That's a difficult thing, for, I think, for a lot of people is how do we accept the results? And more importantly, what do we need to do to make sure we can move on from that and we're not just schlepping through the airport with 20 bags behind us? Well, this is a pretty big explanation, but it involves two dimensions. It involves patience, and it also involves acceptance. And I think I need to kind of help people understand really what each one is. Patience, for me, is the capacity to accept or tolerate delays trouble, suffering, or any annoyances without getting angry or upset. And and that certainly happens in golf, especially when our Mm -hmm. results don't equal or match the, you know, those expectations. So when we start talking about acceptance, acceptance is the final act of any one shot and accepting the result on that shot, accepting the result on that hole, on that round, on that day, on that tournament. So acceptance Ted does not mean acquiescence. It doesn't mean we just, oh, okay, it's all right. Acceptance means it is 
a neutral term, which means I don't really have to like, you know, really what just happened. But, you know, the right. finality of the situation, it's very clear and it's very real. You know, I can't cry over spilt milk. And I'm always trying to help my players understand, like the movie The Lion King, where they talk about, you know, the philosophy of Hakuta Matata, which means mm-hmm. no worries. I put the past behind me and I move forward. That's really what acceptance is. Acceptance is putting closure on something that has just recently happened. You are aware of it. You understand it. You recognize it. And then you can park it and release it. That's really what total acceptance is. Doesn't mean you have to like what happened, but you put it behind you. And that's really what, you know, great players do. I mean, even at the club level is that they actually take, you know, a shot and go, well, I can't, you know, I mean, I can't, you know, cry over spilt milk. And they actually put it and they leave, you know, that frustration there. And I always love, you know, the 10 step drill is that I'm going to take 10 steps away from that, you know, bad, you know, happening. And as I move towards the next shot, I'm moving with my eyes up, my head up, and I'm looking forward Mm -hmm. to the next shot with renewed vigor and enthusiasm. So I, I just always love that Hakuta Matata. It's no worries. You know, put the past behind you because you can never get the past back. And we, I hear that yeah. so much, you know, today's golfers. Oh, I need to get it back. I need to get it back. No, you never get the past back. All you have now mm-hmm. is the opportunity to take hold of the present shot and do the very best you can with that. So we have negative expectations that take us where we don't want to go. And then we've actually listed these five expectancies that are really the only keys to really playing great and consistent golf. And, and I think, you know, I just want to go through these real you know, quickly, that the expectation sure. that I, I, I have a plan, a clear plan, mm-hmm. the expectation I'm focused in the here and now, the expectation that I will adhere to my routine, the expectation that on each shot I play today, I'm going to give them 100% my best effort, and the expectation, finally, that on every shot, I will accept, you know, that result, and I will move on, and I'll be ready to play my next shot. Those are the expectations that will really lead to great golf for, for any handicap, any talent level. We need to come up with a, like a bag tag or something, Bob, and put that on every club golfer's so that they can review that as they're getting ready to step up to their shot. They can look at these. Uh, positive expectations and use that as their uh, way of moving forward. You know, I always see so many golfers out there, and as I mentioned a few moments ago about the, you know, pro-ams, and you see them, um, one that always used to get me was, well, you know, uh, normally I hit 150 yards is, is my seven iron, and but they don't hit it consistently that distance. And so they're they're basing it on something they did last week or, you know, uh, two months ago. Um, so they make very poor decisions. And, you know, it, it's from a lack of preparation, obviously, is not really understanding and not looking at the statistics that you've got. And this is obviously why it's good to, to work with somebody. But, um, you know, I think we need to get something in print so that they can have this on their golf bag. What do you think of that? I think that's something you need well, to think- do. Yeah, I think definitely I can do that. You know, the the point, you know, I'm always trying to help people understand is that, you know, when you have a shot, 
And when people are doing, you know, now the lasers or they actually know exactly how far they are from the pin, they go, oh, it's 150 yards. I hit a seven iron here. And there's wind into their face now, and it might be colder. Right. Well, on that one mm-hmm. or two times out of 10 where they hit their seven iron 150 yards, they have this expectation that turns to be yep. delusional, all right? They think it's an expectation yep. of, okay, I hit every shot perfect 150 yards. But see, that's, that's what most people don't realize. There's always two distances in a golf shot. You have the laser distance which might be 150 Mm -hmm. yards, but your playing distance may be more like 165 or 168. So you have to take that into consideration. So there's always those two distances. And I'm always trying to help my players understand that because what I've always found is that, you know, really good players, you know, they will always take more club and they always are trying to get the ball pin high, you know, always at the pin, always pin high. They aren't coming up 20 yards short. They aren't coming up short of right. the green. Because then you'll hear the player go, I just didn't hit it. I just didn't hit it. Well, <laughs> after a whole round, they go, I just didn't get it. I just didn't hit it that well. Well, maybe it wasn't, you know, your ball striking. Maybe it was your decision making. Maybe it was your club yeah. selection and, and, and your self-management. That's really where we need to improve. It isn't just the ball striking. So, that's really mm-hmm. where a lot of people, you know, find themselves a little remiss, you know, from, you know, getting better every day. I couldn't agree more. Um, what a great way to uh, to wrap things up. Well, Bob, thank you very much for coming on. I, I can't believe this hour has already zipped by. Um, I want to give you an opportunity, obviously, uh, for two things. Uh, one, to let the folks know if they want to reach out to you, the best way that they can do that through either website or what have you. And if there's anything special that you'd like to plug, um, that's coming up, maybe a seminar or something or a new book that you've got uh, in the works that you want to let folks know about, um, here's a great opportunity to do that. Well, you know, thank you, Ted. Thank you for having me on, you know, uh, Golf Talk Live. This is a, a wonderful opportunity. Uh, I'm known as the Confidence Doctor, and people can get a hold of me, and they can go to theconfidencedoctor.com. I have a wonderful uh, putting course, video putting course, that's available. It's called the 10 Mental Keys for Great Putting. And I've had a lot of success over this past year. A lot of people have gone on that and said, wow, that has made a big, big change for me. If you'd like to reach me directly, you can go to theconfidencedoctor.com, and I have a lot of contact information there. My email is drbob, that's D-R-B-O-B, at D-R-B-O-B-W-I-N-T-E-R-S dot Com. And so people can reach me there. You can also reach me at, you know, David Ledbetter, davidledbetter.com, and you can, you know, look at me there at the World Teaching Headquarters. So, yeah, I'm always looking for, you know, new students, motivated students, and, you know, people always ask me, who is the very best student, you know, that uh, you've ever taught? And, you know, the results really surprise people because, you know, the very best students, you know, that I've taught, is anyone who came in with an open mind and wanted to get good. Because mm-hmm. I've always said this, and this has been my tagline for many years, the moment that you change your mind, you change your game. And that is so yep. true. The moment you change your mind to open, you know, to the possibilities and possibility thinking, it's, it's amazing how good, you know, you become in this game. So true. Very wise words indeed. And don't forget, um, work on your routine. 
Bob, thank you very much for joining me tonight on Golf Talk Live. I'll have you on again, um, maybe before the year is out, if you're available. And uh, we'll work the details out at a later point. But thank you very much for coming on and sharing uh, some very wise words with my audience. I appreciate it and uh, look forward to having you on again. Boy, Ted, I hope so. I, I can't believe it's been, you know, eight, nine years since the last time we were on. So let's let's see. Let's just make it maybe about five or six months, okay? You know, thank, that, thank you so much. You know, it's great to be on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you for your time, and you have a, a great weekend, and thank you for all that you do, and, and I appreciate you spending time with myself and my audience tonight. All right. Thanks, Ted. Have a great evening. All right. You too. Bye-bye. All right, that was sports psychologist, author, and speaker, Dr. Bob Winters, joining me if you enjoyed that. And for some reason, if you tuned in a little bit late and you missed part of the uh, interview, you can go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live, and you can scroll down after the show, and you'll see uh, the uh, recorded version will be there in just a few moments, and uh, you can listen to the show in its entirety. I want a special thanks to John Hughes for joining me on the, earlier on the Coach's Corner panel. And uh, unfortunately, Jamie wasn't able to uh, join us tonight, but uh, we'll get her on the next uh, uh, panel for sure. Uh, And again, special thanks to Dr. Bob Winters for joining me tonight as my special guest. Have a great weekend, everybody. God bless, and I will see you next time right here on Golf Talk Live. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. We'd like to thank this week's Coach's Corner panel, and a special thank you to tonight's guest, Remember to join Ted every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. And be sure to follow Ted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're interested in being a guest on Golf Talk Live, send Ted an email at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.